Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 17a. And I've titled uh, the sermon, What to Pray for One Another. We always need to know what we are to pray for one another. And this section of scripture that I'm going to be talking about, um, Ephesians 3, 14 through 17a, is part of a larger section. And that is Ephesians three fourteen through 19, followed by 20 and 21, um, which is the benediction part of it. We'll look at that a week from now. When we think about Ephesians three fourteen through 19, the great expositor, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he took 17 messages to preach through this section. And we are going to merely scratch the surface as we try to deal with this in two messages. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that there was no other scripture passage in his preaching ministry which, where he was so conscious of his inadequacy and inability. As we look at this passage, it's like tinkering around at the bottom of a lake to discover that it's just the arm of an immeasurable sea or an ocean. Our text today is a second prayer of the Apostle Paul. And I say the second prayer because obviously Ephesians chapter 1 verses 15 to 23 was the first prayer. The first prayer was a prayer of enlightenment. And we find in this section, Ephesians chapter 3, 14 through 19, is a prayer for enablement or empowerment. In the first prayer in Ephesians 1, 15 to 23, Paul prayed that Ephesians would know the power of God. Here in Ephesians 3, Paul is praying that they would experience the fullness of God. In the first prayer, Paul prayed that the Ephesians would know God's resurrection power that is available to them. In the second prayer, in chapter 3, he wants them to use that resurrection power that is available to them. So as we look at chapter 3, we find that prayer was important to Paul. Paul commands in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 17, pray without ceasing. We are to live a life of prayer. Regardless of what we have in Christ Jesus and the spiritual resources that we have in Christ Jesus, we are to pray and we are to pray fervently. Prayer is an essential ingredient of our lives. Prayer should be like breathing. At no point of time are you consciously making an attempt to breathe. Unless and until you have an eye watch and it prompts you to breathe intermittently, tell you to take deep breaths. Otherwise, you're not. You just breathe. It's a natural thing 
for every Christian. But if prayer is natural, why is that that people find it difficult to pray? I remember days that in our family prayer, I've fallen asleep. And I had to be woken up. There are many reasons why, apart from falling asleep, I'm talking about we, we are tired. Some of us spend 15, 20 hours a day and just can't hit the bed. Now, you, 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 you get into that mode of praying and sometimes your wife prays long prayers. And you're hoping that she would say, Amen. But by the time she says amen, you've crossed the line, you've fallen asleep. But there are other reasons why people don't pray. It could be because sin in a person's life. Sin stifles one's prayer life. It could be selfishness. Selfishness may manifest itself in being lazy having an unconcern for other people. But as you look at the life of Paul, prayer was natural to Paul. He was preoccupied with people's lives. And that's why you could say in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, he said, continue in prayer. Present continuous tense. Be steadfast in prayer. I mean, Paul is in prison as he's writing this episode. He is uh, chained to Roman soldiers. That, this was his first Roman imprisonment under house arrest. The second one was in a dungeon, and it was a terrible imprisonment. But both times you find that Paul was immersed in prayer. He's able to pray to his Father in heaven. Even if we are prevented from praying, we could still pray in our minds, quietly. Even if someone comes up to us and say, don't move your lips, you're not allowed to move your lips, you're not allowed to talk, you can still pray to your Father in heaven. As we saw last week, we have access to our Father in heaven. Boldness and confidence to go into His presence at all times. I mean, you may be in, a, on a, on, on, in the hospital. You may be sick. Unable to even stay coherent. But still, when you come to moments that you can think of praying, you can pray. You may be lying awake at night. Unable to sleep. And you look at the clock. And you're not slept. And an hour later, you're still awake. And most likely people get anxious when they go through times such as this. Why am I not able to sleep? But you know what? You could still pray. You could pray for the lives of people in this church. You can, you can pray for other people. You can pray for their salvation. You can pray for the ministries within the church. And so Paul here in chapter 3, he begins with prayer. He says in, says in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Finally, my brothers, I'm sorry, where am I? I'm Philippians. Ephesians chapter 3. 
He says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. He started verse 1 with the intention to pray. I mean, you would, you would always do that. He finished teaching part of chapter 1, and then he said, I want to pray that people would understand that. Then he went through teaching in chapter 2, and then he comes to chapter 3 and says, I want, to, I want to pray that people would understand that. But as he begins to pray in verse 1, and if you're in your Bible in chapter 3, verse 1, all of a sudden there's a dash there in your Bibles, a long dash. He stops praying. And he starts teaching again in verses 2 through 12. And 2 through 13. He's teaching. As if he remembered that I need to go back and teach something more before I begin to pray. And that's called the parenthesis. And we looked at it last week. The parenthesis of Paul uh, in that passage. But now today we are in verse 14. So Paul begins... Verse 14, where he begins to pray. So he's now connecting from verse 1. He's now begin, beginning to pray in verse 14. He says, for this reason. For this reason. Now, that's how he began verse 1. Do you see that? If you go back to verse 1, that's how he began. For this reason. So we need to find out what is that reason. As good Bible students, that's where we begin. What is the reason? You don't have to go very far because... If you go to chapter 2, verse 22, he gives you the reason. And the reason is, in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Paul is saying, you are a habitation of God. This is what caused Paul to break out in prayer. He says, since you are God's dwelling place, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, and he prays. So verse 14, as we look through this, it says, for this reason, and what is the reason? Going back to chapter 2, verse 22, because you're in habitation of God, because you're a dwelling place of God, he says, I bow my knees before the Father. He's coming face to face with God, with His Father in heaven. We have no other option when we come into the presence of God, but to bow our knees. Now, whether bowing our knees is to be taken literally, well, if you look at the prayers in the Bible, many people bow their knees. Some lay prostrate, some stood while they prayed. But here you can think about this and say, you know what, when Paul says he's bowing his knees before the Father, he is actually directing his prayer, he is recognizing that God is almighty and he's submitting himself before his Father in heaven. God is our Father. He's not some distant ogre, he's not... Someone who is far away. He is a loving, compassionate father. A father who is always ready to hear you. A father who is always compassionate and merciful. 
A father who's not just waiting there with a lightning rod trying to strike you. A father who desires that he, his children would come to him. We see the story of the prodigal son. But the man despised his father, took all of his share and walked away. But as the story unfolds, his father was waiting for him to come back to him. God is a loving God. He's compassionate. And he's waiting for you to call out to him. The Bible says, call unto me, I will answer you. What's preventing you from crying out to God? What's preventing you from calling out to Him? We have a perfect Father. Now as you continue in verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 3, it says, From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Here, Paul is not saying that he is the spiritual father of every human being in the universe. He is, he is created every human being in the universe. He's a sovereign God. We know there are two spiritual families. There is a family of Satan, and then there is a family of God. There is a kingdom of Satan, and there is a kingdom of God. And God is only the father of those who trust in Jesus Christ. For salvation. Satan is the father of those who reject Jesus Christ. There is nothing in between. So if you reject God and Christ Jesus, you may say, well, I, I, I'm not totally not believing in him, but I, he's not my king, he's not my Lord. Then guess what? There is no middle ground. You're, you're here. Who's your father? Satan. So here, when we think about what Paul is saying, Paul is referring to God being the father of all the redeemed. God is the father of all who believe. And he says, those who are in heaven and on earth. That means all the redeemed believers who died were in heaven and those believers who are here on earth. He's the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Let's move on. That, according to the riches of His glory. According to the riches of His glory. Now when we think about according to the riches of His glory, we begin verse 16. And as you begin verse 16, I want to give you the headings for the sermon. And I want to show you how I derive my headings. And one of you asked me the other day, how do you actually know what the headings are going to be on the passage? Well, I don't just sit there and allow God to speak. You know, He speaks to me through the Word of God, but then the Word of God clearly gives you headings. And I want to show you how I got my headings today. So if you look at verses 14 through 19, and you come through verse 16, you see the word that. Do you see that? It's in your English Bible, the word that. In the Greek Bible, it is called the Hina clause. H-I-N-A. It's called the Hina clause. Now, when you look at that in verse 16, you have the first Hina in verse 16. 
Then you go down to verse 17b. Verse 17 is split up into two. Verse 17b, that you being rooted and grounded in love is the second Hina clause that you see there, that. And then you go down all the way through verse 19 and you come to the second half of 19, that is 19b, and you see the third that in the English, that Hina clause. Now you'll say, Pastor, I see another that in verse 17a as well. So that, well, that's not the Hina in the Greek. It's added in the English. So when I'm looking at this Hina clauses, I see three points that come out of the sermon. Three points. The three points are, Paul is praying, he is bowing his knees before his Father in heaven, from whom all family, every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you, now this is where we come to the first Hina clause, and I see the first point, are you strengthening your inner man? Verse 16 through 17a. The second one is from 17b through verse 19a. Are you rooted and grounded in love? And the third one, verse 19b, are you filled with the fullness of God? Today, we will only look at the first point, And that is, are you strengthening your inner man in verses 16 through 17? So come back next week and we will go through point two and three. So let's look at verse 16 today. And it begins that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Let's stop right there. And let's begin with that according to the riches of his glory. What does it mean to be according to the riches of his glory? Well, as we looked at Ephesians chapter 1, we've seen that phrase come up there. When someone gives out of his riches, it means to give something from what he has. But when someone says, I'm giving according to the riches I have, that means he's giving it in accordance with what he has. And I'll give you the difference here. Say, for example, you're, you're going up to a billionaire and you say, I want $5,000. And he gives you $10. He has given you from his riches. But if he gives you $25,000, or if he gives you $5 million, then he has given according to his riches in glory. And so what we see here, Paul saying in verse 16, that he is giving us according to the riches Paul is praying God is granting it according to his riches in glory. What is he granting us? And the later half of verse 16 says, That he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now Paul is being very specific in his prayer. He is focusing his attention on the spiritual state of the Ephesians. Paul isn't praying that, well, pray that I'll be released from prison. He's not saying that their circumstances would change. He's not praying some general prayer saying, God bless them. God be good to them. 
Paul is praying very specifically. He is focusing his attention on the spiritual state of the Ephesians. When you look at verse 16, and you look at the phrase, He may grant you. It's a passive voice. It indicates the strengthening of our inner man. Not from man himself, but from God. God is the one who is strengthening you. That's why he says, He may grant you. God has to grant it to you. You and I do not earn it. You simply ask God and you receive it. You ask for strength and God gives it to you. He says, He may grant you to be strengthened with power. Means He may give you abundant strength. What is that strengthened with power? Well, it's the power that raised Christ from the dead. It is the power that raised Christ from the dead that we saw in Ephesians chapter 2. It is the power that made you a believer. It's the power that changed your deadness, your, took away your dead heart and put a new and living spirit within you. It's the power that did the impossible work of salvation in your life. That's what he says. He says he may grant you to be strengthened with power. We all need to be strengthened with power. Do you go through trials in life? Do you go through difficult circumstances, situations? Do you go through sufferings? And what kind of question is that? We do. In fact, Paul said that all godly in Christ Jesus will endure persecution. Jesus said, in this world, you will have suffering. You will be persecuted. And so the question is not, will you or do you? We all go through suffering and persecution. Do you have the strength to bear those trials? Do you have the strength to perform your duties in the midst of your trials? Do you, do you have the ability to glorify His name as you go through the midst of your trials or suffering or persecution? Do you have the strength to care for another believer as you're going through tough times? I mean, think about this. When your child is rebellious, and your child refuses to listen to you, and you seem to have no, see, you don't seem to see any light at the end of the tunnel, do you have the strength to go through that circumstance in your life? I mean, do you have the strength to work for 19 to 20 hours and come and sit here in church? Do you have the strength to love your spouse even when he or she acts like a jerk? Do you have the strength to fight that stage for cancer that you're going through? 
I mean, think about the relentless temptation that comes in your life. Do you have the strength to go through that? So Paul is here praying in verse 16. He says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. Adversity and hardship will come into your lives and unless God empowers you, unless he strengthens you, you will be unable to withstand the pressures of life. You all need strength. Now, some people don't even think about it. They dope themselves. They drug themselves. And there's a million dollar industry in America surviving for that. Because of that. Because they do not have that inner strength. And the strength that Paul is praying for here, folks, if you look into your Bible, it's there in verse 16. The strength that Paul is praying for here is that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner man. Do you see that? Where? In your inner man. Now, what is the inner man? It's the interior of your being. It's the seat of your personal consciousness. It's your moral being. It's also known as the heart in the Bible. The cardias, from which you get the English word cardiology. It's the secret springs of your spiritual life. We know that the inner man is the heart because as you read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, it reads, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, the inner man or the heart is what's regenerated at our salvation. This is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. He says, so we do not lose heart. That though our outer self is wasting away, our inner man is being renewed day by day. It's in the present tense. Our inner man is being continually, habitually being renewed. Our outer man is perishing. Right, Leonard? You don't have to. We all know. By the time you hit 40 or maybe 45, you know what's happening to your outer man. Some even before that. It is perishing day by day. But Paul says your inner man is being renewed. But by the way, in order for your inner man to be renewed, you have to be a believer. You know what happens when you're an unbeliever? Your inner man is basically dead. The Bible says in Ezekiel, it says, I'll take away your dead heart, your stony heart, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put a new and living spirit within you. I'll take the dead spirit and I'll put a new and living spirit in you. So if you're an unbeliever, you don't have that inner man or the ability to even think through your inner man. You're dead. 
This is why Ephesians chapter 4 verses 17 through 19 says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Why? Listen to this. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardness of their heart. Unbelievers have a hard heart. But when you become a believer, God gives you a heart of flesh and He's able to write the laws of God upon your heart. He can't do that on a stony heart. It's a hard heart. And so, when you think about the inner man, the question is, is your inner man being strengthened? If you're a believer... And Paul says in verse 16, that's what his prayer is, that Lord, give them the ability, strengthen their inner man. How? Through the Holy Spirit. That's what it says there. It says, He may grant you to be strengthened with power. How? Through His Spirit. The Spirit is the agency that carries out your strengthening. The Holy Spirit is a source of power to strengthen your inner man. The Holy Spirit is the one who saved you. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives you the gift. In fact, Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23 says, gives you the gift, the fruit of the Spirit. For those of you who are wondering, the Holy Spirit is given to you at the moment of salvation. At the moment of your regeneration. He's your counselor. He's with you 24-7. He's the parakletos. He is by your side. If you're a believer, you're not alone. The Holy Spirit is with you. So you are to strengthen your inner man and you have the power that raised Christ from the dead. You have the Holy Spirit living in you to strengthen your inner man. But you know what? All of us are painstakingly trying to care and nourish and cherish our outer man. Don't we? We feed it. We clothe it. Sometimes we want the best clothing. We exercise. We're up there in the morning running out, checking how many calories we've burned, researching different diets, and some trying to do the keto and whatever is out there. All for the sake of your outer, speak to me, man. But in spite of of all your extravagant efforts to, to take care of the outer man, these are mere feeble attempts at preserving your outer man. Feeble attempts. Why? Because the Bible states it very clearly that it is perishing day by day. And the older you get, the outer man keeps declining. And as the outer man keeps declining, there's one thing that you and I need to do. And that is renewing your inner man. So Paul is praying that the Ephesians would allow the Spirit of God to do the renewing in the inner man each day. 
How do you renew your inner man? Well, you say, Pastor, I come here, I'm regular to church every Sunday, and I'm sitting here, I'm listening to you. My inner man is being renewed. Amen. Why don't you just come to church on Sunday and just eat one meal to feed your outer man? How about that? Don't eat through the week. Just come in on Sunday and like you feed your inner man, just feed your outer man. Is that okay? Now, We need to feed our inner man regularly. And God has given us the Spirit of God to do that. And that's why Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We are to conduct ourselves daily, consciously, in the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to renew our inner man. Now, if you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, Verses 18 through 19. It says, Praying at all times in the Spirit. I'm sorry. What am I doing here? Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So here it says, you are to be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms. Now, the question is, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Many people think that being filled with the Spirit means just praying that the Lord would fill you and fill you and fill you till it overflows. Like, Filling a cup till it overflows. Do you see that? Some people think filling of the Spirit means that. You probably heard me say this before, but there was a man who was praying, Lord, fill me, Lord, fill me, Lord, fill me, fill me, fill me, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fill me, O Lord. And there was a lady standing right next to the man and said, Lord, don't fill him. He's leaking. (laughs) So what does being filled with the Holy Spirit mean? To help you understand that, I want you to turn, keep your fingers in Ephesians, in chapter 5, and turn with me to Colossians, please. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So now, if you turn back, just keep your fingers in Colossians and turn back to Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. 19 says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Colossians 3 says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. But what is the first part of it? How are you going to fill yourselves with the Spirit of God? Colossians 3, 16 gives you the answer. You know what it is? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That means if you want to be filled with the Spirit, allow the word of Christ to dwell in you richly. That's how you're filled with the Spirit. That means the more you allow the word of Christ to dwell in you, the more you're filled with the Spirit. Does that answer your question? 
And the more you allow the word of God to dwell in you, the more your inner man is being renewed. And this is how God changes your outward behavior. Because what is in your heart is what's going to come out. He changes your outward behavior by changing your inner man. Behavior modification without heart transformation is catastrophic. Did I say that again? Behavior modification without heart transformation is catastrophic. I mean, you may temporarily change your behavior, your outward behavior, by certain psychological programs. Like people who have anger problems may go to what you call anger management programs. But my beloved, that's only a temporary solution. People who are alcoholics may go to AA, but that's only a temporary solution. True inward transformation will only happen when God changes your heart. And that change comes only through the word of God and prayer. So come back to the question is, are you renewing your inner man? And the way you renew your inner man is, are you studying God's word? Are you feeding your inner man with God's word? And it's important we need to take care of our inner man, our heart. You know what the Bible says about our heart? Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above everything else. Who can understand it? Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. So how do you strengthen your inner man? In the Old Testament, book of Jeremiah, chapter 15, verse 16, Jeremiah writes, Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. Job chapter 23 the book of Job, chapter 23, verse 12 says, I have not departed from the commandments of his lips. I've treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. You see that? More than what he is doing to feed his outer man, he is feeding his inner man. And what is he feeding his inner man? The word of God. Would you please turn with me? To the book of Psalm, the very first Psalm. And you see that as you read Psalm 1. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But listen to that, verse 2. But his delight. You know what that delight, the word is? It's the same word that is used to describe your excitement when you read the letter that was sent to you by a fiancé for the very first time. And you kept reading it and reading it and reading it and rereading it. Is that clear? I don't know how many times you would have pre preserved that letter and read it. The letter that your wife wrote to you for the very first time. Do you remember that? 
You probably take it out occasionally and reread it, correct? They delighted in it. He says that's the same delight. He says delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates. The Hebrew word Haggai, he meditates on it day and night. You need to take every opportunity that you have to study God's word. Psalm 119, verse 167 reads, My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I love them exceedingly. This is what we do here, folks, at Family Heritage Church. We are feeding you God's word. This is why Paul wrote his letters to feed people the word of God. This is why we teach you doctrinal truths here at Family Heritage Church, so that you are fed, you're taken into the depths of God's Word. And as you are taken into the depths of God's Word, you're able to use that and practice that Word in your life. So what happens as you feed your inner man the word of God? It'll be transformed. Do you remember that science experiment that you did in the chemistry lab when you were a high schooler? You put two chemicals into a test tube, and what happens? The explosion? You love that, right? Anytime there is a mixture of two chemicals, what's happening? There is a reaction. Anytime the Word of God comes into your life, there has to be a response. And the response is transformation, obedience. This is what we hear in Deuteronomy. It says, hear, O Israel. The Hebrew word hear is the word shema, which is the other word obey. That means anytime you're hearing God's Word, you're obeying God's Word. Amen to that? Yielding your life on a day-to-day basis. By strengthening your inner man. Let's move on to the rest of verse 17a. Come back to Ephesians chapter 3 please. Verse 17a. So that's the first thing that we are praying. Are you being strengthened in your inner man? And as you're being strengthened in your inner man. Verse 17a says the result of it. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. By the way, this is the only time that phrase is used in the entire New Testament, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul says, as you keep renewing your inner man, you will be strengthened in your inner man, and the result is that Christ may dwell in your hearts. But the question is, isn't Christ already dwelling in your hearts? Yeah? I mean, you cannot be a believer if Christ is not dwelling in your hearts, right? So, How can you ever strengthen your inner man if Christ is not dwelling in your heart? So what is Paul praying here? Paul is writing this to Ephesians. They are believers. And he has told them, you got to strengthen your inner man. And then he says, I'm praying that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Is he praying that they would become believers? No. Is he praying that Jesus would come into their hearts? No. I mean, by the way, that cliche, invite Jesus into your heart. That's misleading. That's nowhere in the Bible. 
Nowhere in the Bible are we taught to receive Jesus Christ into our hearts. So how do you come to salvation? We come to salvation because God gives us a new heart. He opens our eyes. He gives us the gift of faith. And by means of the saving faith, we are enabled to trust in Jesus Christ. Trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross. And as you trust that Jesus Christ is a sacrificial lamb who died on the cross for your sins, that He is a sacrificial lamb who paid the the penalty for the wrath of God, wrath of sins, and the wrath that you have incurred as a result of your sins. And when you trust in that finished work on the cross, Christ gives you eternal life. He gives you righteousness, Christ's righteousness. That's salvation. So what is Paul praying here in verse 17a? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Well, we need to understand the word dwell. And in order to understand the word dwell, I want to give you kind of a little Greek understanding of what that word means. It's a compound word in the Greek. It means to settle down. That means to make at home in your life. When your visitors come home, you you tell them, right? Make yourselves at home. That means be comfortable. Settle down. Don't have to leave. Mi casa su casa, right? This is my home. Be at ease. That's what the word dwell means. That means the more you are yielding yourself to the Holy Spirit... What will happen? The less you sin. And the less you sin, the more comfortable Christ will be at ease in your life. Do you see? You get that? I mean, Christ will only be at home in your life if He's controlling your life. If He's not controlling your life, then He's being grieved. So you ought to be careful how you live your lives. Paul is praying that, Lord, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. And the only way Christ can be at home in your lives, Paul says, is if you're being renewed in your inner man. And as you're being renewed in your inner man, the automatic response is going to be, Christ is going to be comfortable in your lives. Do you see the connection? What does that look like? Well, you'll be God-honoring in your life at all times. As you respond to one another, you will want to measure your conversations. As you talk to your spouse, you'll be careful that you are not putting yourselves in front of your spouse. You're putting your spouse in front of you. You'll be sacrificially loving your spouse. You won't be selfish. I was talking to one couple once in counseling and... The couple, the, 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 guy, the lady said, I need some me time. I said, me time? You need to put away me and you need to put him in front of you. Because we are living self-centered lives. We are self-oriented people. So live God-honoring lives in the way you present yourselves. Live God-honoring lives in the way you present yourself on social media. If someone were to open up your social media, what is it that they see about you? 
speaks a lot about you. The kind of pictures you post. Present yourselves in a God-honoring way, in the way you dress, being modest, cautious about the kinds of friends you hang out with, careful about the kind of music you listen to. James chapter 4, verse 4 is very clear. It says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? He says, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. This is why 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 17 says, Do not be unequally yoked with believers, unbelievers. It says, For what partnership as righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship as light with darkness? What accord as Christ with Belial? What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? And he says, for we are the temple of the living God. And then he goes on to say, I will make my dwelling among them. That means I will be at home in their lives. Do you want to know what it means for Christ to be at home in your lives? I have an example for you. And it's found in the Old Testament book. So please, would you turn with me to Genesis chapter 18. And as you read Genesis chapter 18, it's a story of the three men. Now we know the three men, one of them was an angel, and they were... They appeared to Abraham in chapter 18 of Genesis. And you read that as you read the story. As soon as Abraham found them, Abraham invited them into their home, into his home. He quickly went into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, get the cake ready. He took a calf and gave it to the young man. And they prepared a meal. And look at verse, verse 8 says, And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Do you see that? What do you see there is God is comfortable in Abraham's house. He's eating a meal with them. Abraham is standing and watching the three angels eat the meal, of which the third one, this middle one, was none other than God himself. Christ manifestation of Christ. Now as you keep reading chapter 18 and you come to verse 33 of chapter 18, the Bible says, And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham. Now in order to get the story here for lack of time, now the, the conversation shifts to the fact that he is going to destroy Sodom, where Lot stayed. But as you read the verse there, verse 33, The Lord went his way. He did not go to Sodom. Chapter 19, verse 1 says, The two angels came to Sodom. That means there were three people, but now only two angels went to Sodom. And Lord was sitting at the gate. The third person, that was God, did not go to Sodom. You know why God did not go to Sodom? Because God was not at home in Sodom. 
God was at home in Abraham's life, not in Sodom. And so, as we come back here, we need to check into our lives and ask this question. Is Christ at home in your life today? Is He? Are you cleaning up your life on a daily, moment-by-moment basis? Are you confessing your sins? Are, are you repenting of your sins? Uh, are you turning around from your sins? Do you keep a short list with God? A short list. That means anytime you sin, you're constantly repenting and confessing your sins to God. Quick to repent. First John chapter 2, verse 15 reads, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's why 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 says, Since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. And in order to understand what sins are, you need to understand the God, Word of God, right? How can you understand the Word of God if you don't take time to read the Word of God or study the Word of God? And we wonder why we are not being successful or we are not growing spiritually in our Christian lives. I mean, we love babies. They're cute. But a baby eventually grows. And how does a baby grow? When you feed and nourish the baby. True? Good food. The baby grows. And eventually, the baby is able to, able to eat filet mignon, right? And grow. And eat more. And become an adult. What do you tell an adult who acts like a baby? And we are many Christians who say they've been Christians for years of their life but never really growing and maturing in the Word of God. How can you know what is right and wrong if you don't have an understanding of God's Word? If all that you do is open your Bibles on Sunday morning in church, we are in trouble. And by the way, you have to be a believer in order to even love God's Word. If you don't, if you're not a believer, you cannot love God's Word. It's only believers that love God's Word. It takes the Spirit of God to understand God's Word. Otherwise, you will not be able to understand God's Word. This will be the most boring book ever. And maybe if you love literature, you may love the literary genre in the book, but that's as far as you will go. Allow God's written word to expose sins in your life. Allow it to bring conviction in your life. Soak yourself in God's word. Strengthen your inner man. Allow God's word to speak to you. Cry out to God. Say, God, speak to me. How do you do this? Well, begin by just taking small passages in the Bible. Study it. Read the study notes. Use a good study Bible. Read the study notes. 
Allow it to speak to your life. Memorize God's word. Stay in God's word every day. Read it. Have a pattern of reading God's word. We have started it this year in the church. We have allowed a re- early reading plan. Listen to God's word. There's a podcast available for that. Put it on your iPhone and just listen to it while you're driving. Allow God's word to get into your lives. We have opportunity after opportunity. This search, we provide opportunity on Sunday for God's Word. We provide opportunity on Wednesday for God's Word. We provide opportunity on Thursday for God's Word for men, for women on Tuesdays. You have it. In order to be richly, in order to allow the Word of God to richly dwell in your lives. I pray, as Paul prayed, that you would allow your inner man to be renewed so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. And that's a prayer for other people as well. You don't know what to pray for other people? Pray. Lord, I pray for my wife. Wives, you can pray for your husbands. Allow my husband's inner man to be renewed. May he study God's word. May he grow in God's word. And that Christ may dwell in his heart. Pray that for your children. Pray that for other people in this church. Make a covenant as you go home. To pray that prayer. To renew your inner man. To strengthen your inner man. And so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Amen. Father, we thank you that you've given us this opportunity to study your word. And Lord, we pray that even as we come back next week and take opportunities throughout the week to study your word, that your word would richly dwell in our lives, that our inner man would be strengthened, and that Christ may be at home in our lives. So help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.